following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. What are your husband's worst habits? Oh, <laughs> did you hear that? The wise went, oh, wow, the tension in the room. Here's the collection that I got from Patio Talk and other input from our church family. Choose with his mouth open even when you're eating at someone else's house. Number two, snores like there's a big giant drooling mastiff in bed next to you. Number three, picks his fingernails. Number four, mixes plaids and stripes. What else is there? Come on. Uh, leaves the toilet seat up. Universal. There it is. Number six. Leaves his dirty clothes or wet towel on the floor next to the bed, next to the hamper, or on the floor of the closet. Number seven. Leaves his dirty dishes right next to the sink, but not in the sink. Number eight. Sits on the couch watching sports, pretends he's listening to you, and says, uh-huh, every once in a while. Number nine, he sits on the toilet for a ridiculously amount of time. Number ten, he is overly amused by burping and flagellants. There you go. It's definitely true that men and women are different. In fact, not just physically, but in their design, in their makeup. God made us unique. And you see those differences, and those differences in our day are really under attack. Someone told me that husbands are like lawn mowers. They're hard to start, they emit foul odors, and they don't work half the time. There you go. Clearly, the Bible's been teaching us, as if you've been here over the last four weeks, and we're doing this four-week series on marriage, that to glorify God, we definitely need to be filled with God's Spirit. We can't do this on our own. And as we're filled with the God's Spirit, we've got to step out, you know, dependently, but accordingly and obediently towards God's design for women that we looked at last week and God's design for men, husbands, that we're going to look at this week. You say, well, why aren't there more of these submissive godly wives and why aren't there more of these like leading and loving husbands? Well, the answer is Genesis chapter 3. That's when humanity fell into sin before a holy God and the entire human race was corrupted by sin. And ever since then, it's pretty simple, men have tried to control women and women have tried to control men. And that's the source of it. Instead of following God's plan, coming God's way, filled with God's power, they're trying to do it in their own strength and they're trying to do it their way so they get what they want and that's the source of your conflict. It's your will and my will getting in the way. As a result of this sin, today, now in society, we have male chauvinism. We have the feminist movement, and now we have the transgender massive confusion, all of which are wrong, and all of which cause incredible suffering and pain in people's lives. The first step that God would call us to, and let's just be direct and plain, is that you would turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. That first you have to know your Creator in order to do marriage the way He created it. 
The second thing is you've got to be empowered by Him, and that would be as a believer that you're moment by moment dependent upon the filling of the Spirit of God to work through you in which to love your spouse the way God designed. And then the final step is that you follow God's Word and what He's laid out for you as a believer to basically make marriage work. That complementary role has to work together. And that's why we're trying to preach the Bible word by word, verse by verse, as a church. We want to hear what God has to say, not make the Bible say what we want, but actually listen to what He says and how He reveals what the author's intended message is, and so that we would be doers of the Word, and of course, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's the big question. Over the last four weeks, are you then doing the Word, hearing it, and then responding in the power of the Spirit? Three weeks ago, we looked at the context of Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, and that was the book of Ephesians, the entire book. And I listed those points for you again in your outline because they're vital for you to understand. If you're going to live out verses 22 to 33 in Ephesians 5, you've got to have it be in the context of this entire letter, the letter of Ephesians. So you can't ignore God's sovereign purpose for your marriage, which is talked about in chapter 1, which is to live for the glory of God. Chapter 2, you don't want to minimize your sinfulness and your desperate need for God's grace every single day you need Him. In fact, you need to understand that when you get into marriage, you're not bringing strength, you're bringing weakness. And you need God's strength in order for it to be what God intended it to be. Chapter 3, you don't want to be overlooking the incredible love of God to fill your heart. In other words, Jesus makes it very clear that He is the source of love for your spouse, not your spouse. You're not into marriage trying to get from her or get from him. You're there to give from God to them. That's the way God designed it. And then chapter 4, you don't want to be avoiding your uh, interconnectedness to the church family. You need the influence of older godly women, wives. You need the influence of older godly men, men, in order to be what God intended you to be. It should never be isolated from the church family. It should be with immersed in the church family. You need couples ministering to you, etc. in this process. And chapter 6, of course, made it really obvious that you don't want to be elevating your children over your marriage. That primary relationship must be first next to Christ. Two weeks ago, we looked at the key command of marriage, the number one key, which is right before verses 22 to 33, which is the largest section in the Bible on marriage. And right before it is the command to be filled with the Spirit. And we need this filling of the Spirit in which to empower us to love and to function the way God designed. Last week, we studied the function of wives. Briefly look at some of the high points in verses 22 to 33 on how they can prevent damage in their marriage. And today, we're going to conclude this four-week series today, get back to Galatians, but we want to be looking at God's design for husbands and what steps they can take to prevent damage in their marriage as well. Now, if you know Ephesians, Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is talking about your position, what God has done for you. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 is talking about your practice, how you're supposed to live out this faith, and it's, it's designed and described as a walk. You're supposed to be walking worthy of the gospel, you're supposed to be walking in love, and you're supposed to be walking in wisdom, and part of that wisdom walk is the filling of the Spirit. And then leading right up to that incredible marriage relationship, he actually talks about Christ and the church and then relates that to marriage itself in verses 22 to 33. And there are two main emphasis in this passage, all right? You don't want to miss the big picture. 
here's the big picture. It is that women are to submit and men are to love. And here's the key. Men are commanded to love. Women are exhorted to submit. Commanded. Remember, in marriage, there is a pilot and a co-pilot. And the last thing you need is for a pilot and a co-pilot to be fighting over the controls, going, we should go up, we should go down, right? That's bad for flying, and that's bad for marriage. We need to be actually understanding God's design and what our role is and pursuing it the way He's laid out for us under the filling and control and empowering of the Spirit of God. It's not easy for wives. We looked at that last week. It is definitely not easy for husbands, but for a marriage to work, the husband and a wife have to pursue functioning God's design. There is no shortcut to this. You have to ignore what the culture says. You have to ignore all those TV shows that make fun of marriage. You have to ignore everything that is a mockery of marriage today. And you have to say, no, this is God's design. This is the way he's laid it out. We need to pursue this. Wives need to die to self through submission to a husband and everything. And husbands need to die to self by leading, loving, and so much more. Now, we're going to look at the high points again in verses 22 to 33. Just reminding you, the last time I taught through this, it took 11 weeks to go from 22 to 33. We're just giving it to you in one sermon. So we're just going to get the high points today. But I want to highlight this for you with a couple of pre-points, which is number one in your outline, the responsible leader of his bride. One way that men die to self is to become the responsible leader of his bride. Remember what he says and look at what he says in verse 23 in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 5. It says there, for the husband, what? Is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. The, word, the verb is there is actually a fact. It's in the indicative mood, which means it's stating a fact, and the husband is the head of the wife, not could be, would be, or should be the head. He is the head. The only question is, is he a Christ-like leader? Is he dependent on the Spirit of God? Is he being responsible? Is he initiating biblical direction? Is he continually engaging in the spiritual welfare of his home, or is he a lazy leader? Is he following the patterns of his upbringing? Is he a poor example uh, of what God has intended him to be? Is he uh, really following the poor examples around him? Or worse, is he leading via Google? Husbands do damage when they're winging it, when they're passive, when they prayed to receive Christ a long time ago, but they've made no pursuit of Christ, no deepening of their walk with God, and they're not pursuing God's truth. Listen, how the husbands do damage when they always defer to their wives on parenting. They always defer to their wives in financial decisions. Or they always defer to their wives in marriage decisions. When you don't ever take ownership of a marital conflict, you do damage in your relationship to your spouse. Listen, when you hear the word head, you see it there in the text, circle it, it is not a synonym for boss. It's not. Husband does not get to boss his wife around. This is not an employer-employee relationship where the husband gives a job description to his wife and she is his subordinate. That is not what's being talked about here. Headship is being like Christ. 
Being like Christ. Jesus had a bride, the church. The husband has a bride, his wife. And they're to treat his bride, his wife, like the Lord treats his bride, the church. Do you? Now men, married or single, let me spell it out for you. Look at those little uh, letter A, letter B, letter C there. Husbands must pursue their bride. You initiate. Write down, you initiate. It's your job to keep the marriage fresh. Now, Jesus doesn't sit back and wait for us to pursue Him, right? He pursues us. And as the head, a husband pursues his wife and that marital relationship. That falls on you as the head. Letter B, husbands must set set biblical Christ-honoring direction. Under the providence of God, you are the one who is dealing with issues. You're the one who's taking care of future needs. You're the one who's taking care of future responsibilities. Maybe your wife's highlighting some things. She's alerting you to things like insurance or savings or budgeting or kid problems or house problems, whatever, or even in your marriage. But you're the one who sets direction. That's God's calling and headship. And then letter C, the husband repents and restores first. The husband repents and restores first. Did Christ, answer this question out loud, did he wait to restore you to himself? Yes or no? No. He initiated. Christ initiated. You as the head must be the first to humble yourself at an impasse. You must ask forgiveness. You must ask forgiveness to restore the relationship like Christ. That's your job. You say, Chris, that won't be easy. That's right. It's going to be difficult. There will be times when it will be extremely difficult. So, I have permission. She's here today. I can tell you this honestly. I've told you this before. Not not a surprise. One time we had one of those really intense discussions. Called an argument. Okay, we had that. And we went to bed, and and she's still steaming. You could see the steam coming off of her. And I'm thinking, i got to get this right. This is my job. i got to make this right. So I'm trying to be real gentle, really gracious, trying to be biblical, you know. Honey, you know, the Lord says that we shouldn't let the sun go down on our anger. And she looked at me, she goes, it's already down, okay. (laughs) Now, everything worked out great, and we haven't had a discussion like that in probably 25 years. But understand, understand, you have to initiate. you got to make sure you're taking those steps, regardless. In situations of marital strife, Husbands initiate. That's headship. That's what that means. Which points to the second major point for husbands. Two in your outline, introductory point. The sacrificial lover of his bride. The sacrificial lover of his bride. It says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The main point of this entire passage is basically... Husbands, love your wives. That's the main point. In this passage, there are only two commands. In verses 22 to 33, only two commands. Both are ongoing. Both are directed to husbands. And both of them say the same thing. Twice, you're commanded husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. It's present tense continual all the time. It's non-optional command. It's supernatural. It's got to be the Spirit loving through you. It's 
involves giving not merely provision. I'm bringing home a paycheck. It's not merely giving time. It's not merely giving attention. It's not merely fixing problems. It's giving yourself. Like the husband and the wife in the counseling situation, he goes, you know, I, I just feel so distant. And he says, honey, I've given you a house, I've given you clothes, I've given you a brand new car, I've given you all these things. And she looked back and says, you've never given yourself. That's the key. You love her more than your sports, your hobbies, your job, your kids, more than any other person except for Christ. I'm not certain you've noticed this, but I, I want to be clear about this. Women like to be loved. Can I hear an amen, ladies? I mean, they are ready, all right? It's crazy. It works all the time. Women like to be loved. Listen, when you go into a greeting card store, is it primarily men or women who are milling around crying? Okay, which one? Yeah. Women love to be loved. They're natural receivers of love. And only a woman who's been abused or neglected or harmed has a hard time receiving love. That's why a man has to be so careful and women must cling to Christ and forgive. But when the Bible says husbands love your wives, it does involve your heart. It does involve feelings. There are, I, I still adore my wife. I, I think about her all the time. I think about her with emotion. Sometimes I feel like the junior hired who just got on the carnival ride. I mean, I got the blue light special. I got the, the golden ticket, Charlie. I got it. God gave me that and I'm wiped out by that. I, I can't believe that the Lord gave me her. Really. Love does involve emotion and joy. It's described in the Bible as delight. But in the Bible, love doesn't just feel. Love does things. Love obeys. Love, write it down, sacrifices. What's he say in Romans 5.8? But God demonstrates his own love. How does he demonstrate his own love towards us? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ what? He sacrificed. Agape is sacrifice. Jesus Christ died for us. His love compelled him to act. Love in the Bible is not merely sentimental. It's action. It's giving sacrificial behavior. It's giving up what you want to do at the home with what needs to happen in the home so you can honor Christ. God's love does things. And if it's God's love and the marriage is going to work, men have to do things. They need to forgive. They need to restore. They need to show the powerful love of God, how it changes people when you encounter it. Singles, write this down. Here's the definition of biblical agape love is sacrificial action to benefit another. You're there to benefit them to the glory of God. Remember, it's for Him according to the Word of God, but you are to do that. God's love, and God loves because it's His nature to love. It's his nature to initiate sacrificial action. It's not in our nature, it's in our new nature. It's our new nature. In fact, husbands, you're commanded twice here in this passage to love your wife. So I want to take a look at what it looks like from the passage and make it hopefully as practical as I can. Again, only honoring the high points of this particular passage. But the main point here is love means husbands die to self by sacrificing themselves, providing security. Like sacrificing themselves. Now Paul describes how this works out several different ways in marriage. We're going to look at three of them. First in your outline, men love by treating their wives as the most important person on the planet. The most important person on the planet. Is she your preoccupation? 
Is she your delight? Is she your treasure? Talking about your wife. Do you think about her? And watch this. Maybe write this one down. Everything you do, you do with her in mind. Everything you do, you do with her in mind. I mean everything you do. How will this affect Gene? How will this affect your spouse? Everything. Husbands are to be her number one fan. Adore her, cherish her, nourish her. Now, you're not to be like the Idaho bachelor who put this ad in the paper. It said, Idaho bachelor wants wife. Stop. Must be interested in farming. Stop. Must own tractor. Stop. Please enclose picture. Stop. Of the tractor. Stop. Okay, there you go. Not good. Partnership means that men are willing, are you ready, to live out unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. An unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. Again, 525, husbands, love your wives. That's agape. Sacrifice for your wives, just as Christ also sacrificed for the church and gave himself up for her. You see, let me put it to you practically. There are three kinds of love. This is oversimplistic, but it's true. There's if love, there's because love, and there's anyhow love. Okay, if love is conditional. I love you if you do this or if you are this way. Because love is also conditional in the sense I love you because you do these things or because you are this way or aren't this way. But anyhow love is unconditional. Anyhow love says regardless of what you do, I love you. Regardless of what you are, I love you. That's what he's calling us to. That's biblical leadership. Sacrificing for one who is sometimes unlovely and someone who doesn't deserve it, but you do it anyway. You want marriage to change quickly and radically? If you're really struggling, this week, every day, just do three sacrificial things that you've not done for your spouse before and just do them every day this week. It'll change your marriage. Just this week. Not manipulatively, but you're practicing love. You're sacrificing. For the believing husband, it's always women and children first in the lifeboats on the Titanic. In other words, on this sinking planet, after Christ, it's your wife who's rescued first. It's your wife who's sacrificed first. It's your wife who's thought about first in everything. What's the measure of your love for your spouse? How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much are you willing to inconvenience yourself? Will you prefer your spouse's needs over your own? So here's a test, okay? Let's make it fair. Here's the test. You're watching your team in the Super Bowl. Or maybe, you know, you're watching the World Series and you're really worked up about it. And your wife, right then, as your team is on the cusp of winning or losing, she needs to talk to you. Will you talk to her with the television off and the remote out of your hand? Now that's sacrifice. Now, sadly, you know that this test is unfair because no godly woman would ever interrupt her man watching his favorite team, right? It just wouldn't happen. And for some of the wives in this congregation, it'd be like, don't you be interrupting me while the Super Bowl's going on. Okay, but do you love your spouse with anyhow love? Anyhow. 
will you believe the best about her regardless? How far does the tape measure stretch? Really, how far does the tape measure stretch in your love for your wife? So I brought my tape measure, right? So is fast food okay on a day when it's really been bad? And you're like, okay, I'll just bring it home. Is you're going to clean up the sink after you get cleaned up in the morning instead of leaving it all drippy and whatever and all stained and all that kind of stuff and she's got to do that for you? Have you really ever decided to completely provide for your spouse so that she can be a worker at home if that's what you want? Do you fix things around the house necessarily, you know, that need to be done? Have you ever, when's the last time you got a sitter and you made a reservation and you just sit there and listen to her? How far does the tape stretch? Singles, this is you. There you go. Understand. Song of Solomon, the book, actually the theme of Song of Solomon is romance. It's not an analogy. It's a literal wedding between Solomon and a Shulamite. There's romance in the courtship, but most, the weight of the book is the romance is in marriage. It belongs in marriage. Understand, when's the last time you intentionally planned something to show your wife you love her? How much personal sacrifice is involved? Because the more the sacrifice, the, the more genuine the love. Ask her this question today. We've got three questions, just like the ladies did last week. Ask her, honey, in your heart, do you believe that next to Christ, you are the most important person to me? Uh, this is an aside. I wasn't planning on saying this. If you're planning on being in ministry, there's a few of you in the room. Listen, there's, there's one key. If you can't convince your wife that she's more important to you than anybody, she'll never let you go. But the moment she knows that you love her more than any person on the planet, then you're free to minister, right? Even though she might need you, she's going to go, yeah, but that person needs you more right now because she knows you'd rather be with her than anybody. Are you with me? She must know it in her heart to be convinced that's your job. That's your job. And remember, the love that Paul commands here is present tense. It's ongoing. It's continual. Husbands, your wife will not believe you like you were when you were trying to woo her and win her until she sees it steadily, regularly, consistently, sacrificed for her benefit over time. Present tense. Let me ask you guys this question, right? Does your wife want to renew you for another season, right? Right? Secondly, men love by initiating God's will into every aspect of their lives. Men love by initiating God's will in every aspect of their lives. Look at chapter 5, verse 26. Again, look at the high points here. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water of the what? The Word. The Word of God. The word sanctified means to set apart for God's use. And husbands are to think of their spouse as on loan from them from God as their most important ministry. Write it down. Their most important ministry. She is your most important ministry. Far than anything else you do. In fact, your target is for her to grow more like Christ. You are a part of that process. And you do that by washing her with the Word of God. That means you initiate bringing up and living by what God thinks in His Word. 
Every issue, every problem, every struggle, every future, every crisis, every blessing, what does the Bible say? You initiate God's will by saying things like, Honey, the Lord wants us to trust Him with this crisis. Let's pray. Dear, God wants us to use our money as wise stewards. So, honey, with, instead of all this tension that we've got between us over finances, let's make sure we live by a workable budget and know how we're spending God's money that He's given us. How about I set up a budget, then let's talk about how we can make that work for us. Sweetie, I think the Lord wants us to love these rotten people. That was supposed to be funny. Uh, sugar... Let me take a more active role in disciplining and spending time with Tommy right now. He really needs some fatherly intervention here. Baby, how about I watch the kids today so you can have some time with the Lord or time with friends. Toots! We're at an impasse. I want to apologize first for my attitude and my words. I know for a fact that I'm responsible to get us back on track. And I also know how I contributed to this difficulty between us. Sanctification means you're as concerned for your wife's spiritual growth as you are your own. It means treasuring and encouraging that relationship that she has with the Lord. Now, some people say marriages are made in heaven, but so are thunder, lightning, and tornadoes. So it takes work, takes prep, takes planning. Here is the major breakdown in Christian marriage and why this point might get lost. It's Christian husbands who don't pursue the Lord themselves and therefore cannot spiritually lead their wives or their kids. Men, if you're not applying the word, seeking answers in prayer, you've got nothing to offer your spouse. There's no shortcuts. It's about bringing Christ evident in your home. Christian marriage must have Christ evident in your home. That means you need to initiate Christ's truth. And sometimes wives have been just waiting and pleading and desiring for you to be that spiritual leader. And she's been giving you hints subtly. Remember when she bought you the entire set of MacArthur commentaries? Hint, hint. Remember when she said, maybe you ought to get in the training center. Hint, hint. But we missed it. Understand, most marriages, the issue, most, not all, the issue is not a wife's unwillingness, but a husband's neglect of his own walk with the Lord. And ultimately, a lack of desire. You're to love her, according to this text, verse 26, by following, obeying, initiating God's Word. Face it, men. You used to sacrifice for everything. You used to sacrifice for your grades, to, you know, to get the scholarship. You used to sacrifice to make the team, to get that position on the team, to win that gal. You did everything. You still give hours to make that sale, to get that promotion, to get that bonus, to get that position at work. You work at it. Isn't Christ and your wife more important than all that? Biblically, she is. Get serious. This is where it really gets difficult. But this is where men need to go. They need to start growing by applying the Word of God, by reading the Word, by praying enough to experience answers in prayer, to seek to be a witness to the lost around you, to worship the Lord with a passionate heart, not an indifferent heart, 
to serve in ministry faithfully week in and week out, to grow deep in theology, to know God, to know Him. It'll probably require accountability, an achievable plan, a change of schedule, and honestly, friends, some of the stuff that you do as a family have got to be abandoned. We have busied ourselves with so many things that the main things are absolutely dissed. It just can't happen unless you're going to pursue Christ and you're going to have to fight to maintain that kind of endurance, the kind of endurance that gets up after you fall and fail because you will. There are no, I know this is shocking, ladies, perfect husbands in this room. Not one, not even close. We don't get there till heaven. We're in process. But we got to get on the process. Ask her, would you? Dear, are you convinced that I want God's will over everything in our lives? Singles, it's the same thing. You say, oh, this is all about marriage. No, it's not. Do you want God's will over your friendships? Thirdly, Men love by cultivating an environment of growth and safety. Men love by cultivating an environment of growth and safety. Ephesians 5, 28-30. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. I want you to look at two words there. I just highlighted them. Nourish and cherish. Look at them. Nourish can be translated to make grow, to feed. Cherish can be translated to tenderly care for and protect. Now, there's a lot of symbolism in all this, and it is used biblically to talk about the kind of thing about growing plants or gardening. That's what I think about. None of us can make a plant grow. You can't make a plant grow. But we can create an environment for that plant to grow. We cultivate the soil. We plant the seeds. We water. We fertilize. We check for bugs. We pull weeds. We can cultivate the environment. Listen, that's what you're doing, men. When you love your spouse, you sacrifice to create an environment that encourages growth in Christ. Your wife, your kids, need to see that the things that honor God are most important to you. And it needs to be absolutely clear to them. They should never doubt that. Not the, oh, let's just stay home from church this week. Ah, you know, who needs to get the kids a youth? They should be, no, I, I want my children and I want my family to be where God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. Yeah, are you understanding? That's what he's talking about. You know, interesting enough, men have a problem with this because they're goal-oriented. You know, my dad, when we went on vacation, he was goal-oriented. Anybody have dad, a dad like that? Uh, that's why my dad, he started with the gas tank full and everybody's bladder empty, right? And he drove until the gas tank was empty and everybody's bladder was full. And God helped the child whose bladder was full before the gas tank was empty. I mean, it was a big deal. Very goal-oriented. Listen, guys are like that. Men work really hard to woo their wives. Focused attention. Then the wedding. After the wedding, something happens. 
They got their goal. They won their wife. Now they got a new goal. What? Career. Within six months, there's less courting. When the kids come, it can disappear, and wives will say in counseling, He's changed! Before we were married, we talked till midnight. Now he grunts, rolls over, and goes back to sleep. Snores. All he wants is food, sex, and the channel changer. The fact is, he got his goal. Marriage. Kids. And now he's moving on. But godly men, if you're going to cherish, that includes focused attention. It means adoring continually. Write it down. Adoring continually. You don't move on. Cherishing your mate means you're planning for their future. You're so concerned to cultivate that environment for their growth, you're going to make sure that even if you're not here, they're going to be taken care of with insurance or a will. You're, you're concerned about that. It weighs on you. Nourishing your spouse means you're letting their strengths shine. You work out how you function together. You're balancing their weaknesses. You enjoy the ways your spouse is different from you, and you encourage your spouse to minister in the area where she's gifted so she can be refreshed in her own heart. She can take steps to become more like Christ in that area that God made her. You remember when you were courting and you found things about them that were totally different than you and you got all excited about it? Yeah, enthusiasm about the way God made your spouse cultivates a healthy spiritual environment. You're not the same, not just husband and wife, not just male and female. You're made differently by God. You function. You have different ways of looking at things, and that's one of the joys of marriage. It can be a massive conflict or a massive joy. I mean, I rejoice over the fact that Gene loves word games and I can't spell. You know what I mean at all? Gene loves jigsaw puzzles, and I really sincerely believe that whoever designed them had mental issues. Okay, so I do. I was born, I mean, the moment I was born, on the table, I was born with a backpack. I was in the high country. I was doing the whole thing, and my wife hates dirt. Okay, so that doesn't work well, but I, I have to confess to you, to this day, I have never met anybody, sorry, who's more selfless, more giving and more of a helper and just the sweetest Mrs. Rogers teacher to kids than my bride. Unbelievable! Husbands lead by dying to self. Say, how does that work out? Well, first, we just said, sacrificing themselves in everyday ways. Second, always introducing God's Word through your actions and words and third, creating an environment of growth and safety in your home. Ask your wife, are you convinced? I want you to grow and serve and to protect you from all harm. You've heard me say this way too many times, but marriage does not have to be the three-ring circus, right? It starts with the wedding, the engagement ring, then goes to the engagement ring, a wedding no, sorry, engagement first, then wedding ring, and then ends up with what? The suffering, okay? It doesn't have to do that. It's going to take work, work, effort, and the work is the labor of faith, faith, depending on the Spirit of God, following the Word of God. Now, this is a little lengthy, so stay with me, sermon's not over, but let me give you these final closing points here. A godly husband, letter A, will work at his marriage, will work at his marriage. 
I know of a husband who thought that he conquered the problem of trying to remember his wife's birthday and their anniversary, so he opened an account with the florist and provided them with dates and instructions to send flowers along with an appropriate note signed, Your Loving Husband. And the wife was thrilled for a couple of years at the newest display of affection and attention, and all went really well until one day when he kissed his wife as he came home, and he said offhandedly, Nice flowers, honey. Where'd you get them? Oops. Husbands, your wife doesn't fit into a compartment. Let's see, Wednesday night, 7 to 8, it's wifey time. No, she is next to Christ, your passion, 24-7. You're to go after that relationship, not merely when she has a need, but before the need, during the need, and after the need. Men are the ones who are to cultivate that relationship. Men are responsible for the health of your marriage. That's headship. Christ expects you to lead and take the steps to grow, to get help if you need it, to get discipled, to serve, to resolve financial issues. You... Take it. Feel the punch here. Take it like a man. To love your wife, you have to make sure that it's ongoing for her to believe you. For her to see that it's believable. It is only God's love when it's dependable and faithful and there'll be lapses, there'll be mistakes, there'll be hurts, but you get it back on track. And if she's going to live by grace and you're going to live by grace, you're going to have to forgive one another and keep going. Letter B, a godly man is most evidenced in his marriage. A godly man is most evidenced. How do you know a man is really spiritual? Not because he teaches the Bible, not because he is in ministry, not because of the massive amount of hours and the position he gets at work. The true test of a spiritual man is how he treats his wife when no one is looking. Nowhere is our relationship with Christ more evident, more proven than in our relationship to our wives. In fact, the elder, deacon, discipler, lay leader who lacks in love for his wife is guilty of spiritual fraud. You say, Chris, that's too strong. No, it's not strong enough. 1 Timothy 3.5. Single men, the proof of your spirituality is not your convictions on the doctrines of grace. It's not how many Sproul and MacArthur books you've read. It is your relationships show us what you're really like. It really is true. Your ability to love others, especially the opposite sex, without defraud, without impurity, and without building a wall of emotional pain between you and a sister in Christ. I love the way that philosopher Socrates, remember him way back, Greek Socrates, how he said it. He said, by all means, quote, Mary, if you get a good wife, you'll be happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. Hmm, Socrates. A godly man is most evidenced in his relationships. Letter C, a godly man works most at dying to self. Works most at dying to self. I want you to hear this. I want you to see this. When you are dying to self, and I believe this is from my mentor, it is when you are forgotten and neglected or purposely thwarted and you don't sting or hurt at to the insult or to the oversight, but your heart is happy even though you've been overlooked, even though you've been neglected. Your heart is happy at being counted worthy to suffer for Christ. That is dying to self. Men, is this you in your relationship to your marriage? When your good is spoken of evil and when your wishes are crossed, your advice disregarded, your opinions ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise up in your heart and even defend yourself, but take it all in patient, loving silence, that is dying to self. 
When you lovingly, patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any impunctuality, any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with waste, folly, extravagance, spiritual insensitivity, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. I put it in your outline in microfiche so you could read it later with a magnifying glass. When you are content with any food, any offering, any clothing, any climate, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself in conversation or to record your own good works or to itch after commendation, when you can truly love to be unknown, that's dying to self. When you can see your brother prosper and have his needs met and honestly rejoice with him in spirit and feel no envy nor question God while your own needs are far greater and in desperate circumstances, that is dying to self. When you can receive correction, reproof, from one less statured than yourself and can humbly submit inwardly as well as outwardly, finding no rebellion, no resentment rising up in your heart. That is dying to what? Self. That's the tip of the spear. That's our goal. That's what we're to be. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Marriage is about Christ. Marriage is about God's glory. Marriage is about pleasing Him and watching how He will manifest Himself in the home. That's Christian marriage. And a godly husband dies to self. Letter D. A godly husband lives by certain key truths. Along with being filled with the Spirit, along with it being in the Word and the faithful prayer, he's going to require himself and his wife to leave their parents and cleave to each other. The priority relationship would be that new marriage. When mom and dad mess with you, you've got to get them out of that equation. That's your job, men. Doesn't wait to obey God's word regardless. Make certain they apply the Bible to their trials and tests. In fact, a godly marriage and men need to seek the counsel of older godly men for him and older godly women for her. You make time to cultivate undistracted communication. You cannot be one without communicating with each other. You arrange your life so you love your wife more than your kids and you arrange your life so you love the Lord more than your wife. You pursue obedience in finances. You pursue the word in service to the church. You pursue God's word in your witness to the world. You desire to have your marriage be a witness to the lost. You never, ever entertain the word divorce. You don't think it. You don't speak it. You keep your desires focused on your bride and no one else. And you desire to honor God above all things. Listen, it's true. We, we're, we're in this together. There are two times in a man's life when he doesn't understand women. Before marriage and secondly, after marriage. Okay? So, letter E, a godly husband turns to Christ, then depends on the Holy Spirit. He turns to Christ, then depends on the Holy Spirit. Men, look up here. Would you? Guys, look up here. Don't fill in the blanks. Just look up here. If you say right now that the Bible is impossible, you are correct. You're correct. Your sinfulness has to be forgiven. And your nature, your internal nature must be transformed. You cannot do this. That is why Christ came. He took the punishment that you deserve for your sin. He bore that on the cross. And when you then hate your sin in repentance... And you place your life, your all, on the resurrected Christ by faith. He can transform you. Not just forgive you. Not just wash you. Not just justify you. He will transform you. Regeneration. 
Only then will you have a new nature. And as you depend on the Spirit of God, then He can then help you to make progress in obeying the Word of God. And you can make progress in becoming the husband that God intends you to be. You're to make progress. You're not to leave here going, I got it. It isn't going to happen. But for some of you, you need to cry out for forgiveness. You need to cry out for a new heart. You need to ask Him. He has to do it. He has to save you. You can't do it. He has to do it. You ask Him. Plead with Him to transform you. Do that today. Stop playing games. Let the love that you have for your bride, let the deep affection you have for your children, and let the sickness and the grossness of your sin and your failure in sin drive you to the cross. To find forgiveness and a whole new beginning. A godly husband will turn to Christ and then he'll depend on the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you that it speaks so clearly and truly as to who we are and what we're to become. We pray that you might work in the hearts of one or two to draw them to yourself. And Father, for the rest of us, may we just remember that it's about bringing you through your spirit into the home and that he, you are talked about, you are followed, you are loved, and that we're wanting to have things be arranged and under the authority of your word in every area. It seems overwhelming when we begin to understand, but Father, you can help us make progress step by step, week by week, month by month, year by year, so that in coming time, there'll be more of you and less of us Father, that you would be glorified and you would take even some really, really hardcore, difficult marriages here and you would turn them, as I've seen you've done before, into examples. Couples who actually share and teach on marriage. Father, we pray that you would glorify yourself that way. We love you. We thank you. We ask again that you would receive all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.